Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. He doesn't plan on writing a book to chronicle all his incredible experiences over the past 50 years covering Minnesota sports. But we've convinced him to do something even better. To share his greatest stories in auditory form right here. We wanted to call this a prairie home curmudgeon. But legal next it. So we proudly present the best stories from the mind of Patrick Royce, titled Royce Rambles. Here's Judd Zulgad. All right, Patrick, today we are going to be discussing coaches and the, the history of coaches in the town. Coaches, Is that right? I was, I was having deep thoughts the other day uh, with the uh, popularity of both the, uh, the uh, Timberwolves and the Wilds' new hires, mm-hmm. uh, Thibodeau and Boudreaux. And by the way, let me say this: uh, this we're we're taping this on uh, Tuesday, seventeenth. Uh, yep. Uh, Randball's thing this morning on uh, the uh, Cajun restaurant in uh, in Louisiana, and uh, it's named Thibodeau and or Boudreaux and Thibodeau was, mm-hmm. was fantastic. And I am going to go there someday and eat some crawfish. So. Did you see that? Thing? I did see. I did it see was, that. Uh, yes, it was great. Apparently, Chip was Chip Googled it. Chip right? Googled Thibodeau Boudreaux, looking for something to see how they spelled them, and this mm-hmm. thing popped up. This restaurant, but I was having deep thoughts as to, uh, you know, right now, obviously, Paul Molitor's in a little bit of trouble with the, with the Twins. But I was I was trying to recall since we became a pro sports team in the uh, nineteen sixty one pro sports town in nineteen sixty one. If we've ever had so many good feelings about our coaches right. as we as we have right at this moment, and I went back and you know Van Brocklin we liked originally, but he was goofy. Uh, the Twins had Sam Mealy, who was took over for Cookie Lavagetto and obviously took him to the World Series in '65, so he was okay, but he wasn't really a a big name. I got to tell you one thing: nobody won the press conference back then. <laughs> They was there a press they conference? had like six guys who show up and ask questions, and we didn't let the public in, which you should never let the <laughs> public in for a press conference, but that's a whole different issue. We have our press conference, then you take them out and introduce them to the yahoos. That's the way it's Come supposed kiss to babies work. Later, is that what you're that's saying? what it's supposed to work, All but right. those days, of that ship has sailed, so the hell with it. But uh, you didn't win the press conference, but Van Brocklin... We were all excited about because he had just won the NFL MVP award sure. uh, in nineteen in nineteen sixty with the Eagles, but that didn't turn out like we'd hoped. And uh, Sam Bailey was popular, but he wasn't a big dynamic popular, uh, big nine, dynamic personality. Right. So then we get Bud, mm-hmm. but the hockey team had Blair, who was crazy, and it didn't take long to tell that he was goofy. And they were changing coaches every 20 minutes either. So we had Bud, and then the Twins, Bill Rigney, came in, and he had had a decent reputation with the Millers here earlier in the Giants, but he 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 came in, had a real good year. And, I mean, we had Martin in 69, and everybody loved Martin, but that only lasted a year. Martin and Grant 
were probably the most popular simultaneous tandem ever. It lasted 10 minutes because sure. Billy got fired. Then Regney came in, and he oversaw. He was he got caught with when Oliva and Killebrew got hurt, and everything went downhill. And Then Mock was a very good manager, but... Again, the Twins were at such a low ebb when he got here. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure we've ever had a situation where we've been so happy about three coaches. Now, you know, the first six years, we were a pro sports town. We didn't have the, the hockey NHL part of it. Right. And then, then for a long time, we didn't have, obviously, the Timberwolves, the NBA part of it. So it's hard to relate to having four High-profile pro coaches and managers, but uh, this may be the glory days. This might be it as right far now? as uh, the popularity level. Boudreaux, of the, Zimmer, uh, the, and Thibodeau. Boudreaux, Zimmer, and Thibodeau for sure. And you know, Molly was certainly po- popular last year, and I think probably still nobody's blaming. Not too many people are blaming him for the catastrophe that's right. taking place over there. But it's uh, this, these could be the good old days for all this we know. This could be right? the high point. Yeah, yes. this could be the. This could be the high point. Uh, Denny Green, of course, very successful, but uh, that's sour though. And, and Tom Kelly, very popular, mm-hmm. but Kelly in the '90s, when Denny was doing well, had to oversee a, a catastrophe there of eight straight losing seasons. So, so does Grant remain the most popular? Yes. though? Grant had yes. a, Grant was seen as this. Grant was phenomenal. The, Grant was the conscience of Minnesota. You know. Is lat when he first retired, eighty four. Yeah, uh, and they had Bud Grant Day, and then he got bribed to come back by Lynn and made the greatest deal ever. <laughs> but uh, you know his big, if he he capped off his address to the fans by saying, "Thank you for not smoking." Mm-hmm. You know that yes. was you know well, he was I mean, a genius. That was him, and he. Uh, he, of course, then, we, oh, okay, and then Bud says we can't smoke, then we're not going to try to beat the no-smoking rules here in the Metrodome. So, uh, yeah, he, he was. And you know what helped him, too? Probably the number one, Sid would argue with this, but the number one Viking guy in town was Klobuchar. And Klobuchar, first for the Tribune, and then he briefly at the St. Paul paper, and then... Uh, then he came back as the star columnist, but he still did Viking stuff okay. as, the, as the Minneapolis star columnist. And he made Bud even more of a pundit than Bud was. Let's just say Cloby. <laughs> I think Cloby had a deal to make them sound like geniuses. Yeah. He, he and Tarkington, Bud and Tarkington were Abbott and Costello in in uh, in Cloby's copy, and and, and Cloby helped. <laughs> make of course obviously winning and the stoic well, and the sure, whole yeah. thing and Clovey's absolute wonderful talent for writing and creating the myth of the you know the steely-eyed guy on mm-hmm. on the prairie over there on the Met Stadium I mean he was the perfect symbol of outdoor football mm-hmm. right totally unflappable and yes you know one of the great disgraces in Minnesota sports history has taken Bud inside. Yeah, not so much the Vikings and Warriors because the you know the defense had deteriorated and it wasn't the Purple People Eaters and stuff anymore by the time they moved inside in '82. But right. but Bud didn't belong in there. Bud belonged out, you know, shooting wolves out of airplanes and stuff like he did. When did, <laughs> did uh, in Canada? When did Bud become Bud? 
I mean, he he gets hired from the uh, from the Blue Bombers, right? In Blue Winnipeg Bombers, in '67. Blue Bombers, well known. See, I don't want to say the generation before me, but I guess it was the generation before me. the The post World War II Gophers, as much as the Beerman Gophers before the World War, from '34 to '41, they won five national titles or whatever it was, six national titles. Mm-hmm. Bruce Smith won the Heisman, and they made a movie about him and the whole thing. That's, but that was still before the war, and there was there wasn't such a thing as hype, really. I don't think media hype. And then when he came back after the war, the way I perceive it is, people said we didn't have suburbs until after the war. You know, there wasn't such a thing. We didn't have half the families in town didn't have cars. You know, there was no right. mobility, and. They came back from the war. They were celebrating. They had some money in their pockets. There was jobs. And that became the first in, you know, and I, you know, I was born in 45, so I'm not. But that became the first actual hype, you know, I think. Sure. If you look back in history, that became, you know, town team baseball. These, you know, full of Minnesota was paying a guy 1500 a month to pitch baseball <laughs> for him and stuff. Everybody had some money. Not everybody, but. You know, the GIs right. came back and they had money. More and more people did. Yeah. And then 1949 Gophers were supposed to go to the Rose Bowl. Remember the Big Ten deal with the Pac-10, to the big, which was the Pac-8 or something like that. Didn't start until 47, I don't think. Okay. So, so the Big Ten wasn't always sending teams to the Rose Bowl. Many years, you look at the Rose Bowl before that, it was... Duke and teams like that. And so the mission to get to the Rose Bowl really didn't start till like 47. But 49, my dad's generation, uh, this, they were going to go to the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. They had Namalini and Tonemaker and, and uh, Bud Grant. and They had all these, these fantastic old... Bud was the right age, but most of them were old, 25-year-old World War II guys. Okay. You know, 25, yeah. 20, you know, 24, 25-year-old guys who came back from the war. And, uh, uh, you know, we were going to go to the Rose Bowl. And uh, they failed. They got the, what was it? They kicked the hell out of Ohio State and then went down and got beat up Michigan or something and uh, or the other way around. And I, I can't remember. I should have looked it up. Sure. But the legend, Bud's legend always was that Beerman beat him up in practice after that big win to get him ready. Oh, okay. And that's why Bud always was a light light practice Didn't guy. Put him through the, yeah. Because he, you know, the, the, the legend, you know, they had to get back on the train and go to where Ann Arbor or Columbus or wherever it was. And apparently they had three hard practices with lots of hitting and stuff to get ready for the game, which was the ethic of that time. Mm-hmm. And I think Bud always said... That's what cost them the win and the trip to the Rose Bowl and the whole thing. But that group of athletes was renowned for, again, my father's generation and the generation that followed him. And Bud was part of that. And then he played with the Lions. So he comes back here to take the coaching uh, job. And And that was big for Sid and those guys who knew him. For me, it wasn't that big a deal. You were hiring a guy from the Canadian Football League. It was a bigger deal for me as a 15-year-old to hire Van Brockley. 
Sure. I knew more about Brad Brocklin than I knew about Bud Grant. Okay. And then Bud's first year was a joke. Three, eight, and three. We, the, the motto became tie one for Bud. They, th- they had three ties. <laughs> I love tie, the ties. Tie one for Bud. And famously, the one where we really made fun of them was they were playing the Rams. The the uh, the Rams were really good then. I think they have fearsome foursome. You know, they we had the we, we got the purple people leaders. They had the fearsome foursome. Deacon Jones, and mm-hmm. all those guys. Rosie Greer and uh, I think it was thirty four to nothing with five minutes to go, something like that. And Bud kicked a field goal. Oh, to, to avoid the <laughs> shutout, and we we laughed at it. We thought, boy, what a hick! You know, he's yeah, you're he's down some, by thirty-one now to avoid the shutout. He kicks a field goal to avoid the shutout, and I remember reading him saying, "Yeah, we didn't want to get shut out." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't make a he never apologized for anything in his life, but the, going into the '68 season, there was no boy, isn't Bud great? Aren't we lucky to have him? At all, and then they ended up uh, playing. What did the top? There was, I think, they had two divisions in the Western Conference then, because they'd gone up to sixteen teams, mm-hmm. and there were the Coastal and the Central or something. Yeah, it must have been the Coastal and Central, and and the Vikings won whatever division it was with a mediocre record. I think it was only a. 14 team conference in. I'm 14 game conference, so like nine and five or something. Right. And they got beat by the Baltimore Colts in the Western Conference final game, but then then Tarkington was gone. They didn't have a quarterback. And then they brought in Joe Cap and and uh, Joe Cap was there in sixty eight, but sixty nine was his was his coming out here when they went with him. And but but sixty eight created the optimism. If you want to look back and mm-hmm. You want to look back in history, 67, the Gophers tied for the Big Ten title. And the, and they're king at this point, right? Yeah, yeah the, they, the were Gophers still, are, they were still big, even though attendance had, had gone down somewhat. But they tied for the Big Ten conference title, and Bud just tied games, 3-3. <laughs> three <to> three. <laughs> so we were, you know, the Gophers were still bigger. It's still kings. Right. Vikings were, you know, there was, there was interest, but it wasn't huge. 68, Gophers were still good, you know, but uh, but uh, not really a contender, I wouldn't say. And then the, the Vikings, that was kind of when they took over. But I always trace it to uh, early season game, 69, Gophers went down to play Arizona State, which was still in the whack. All and right, not, yeah. Now they weren't in the back 10 then. They were still in the whack. Frank Cush was the coach down there, and they went down. It was 100 degrees, and it was late at night. And I remember being on the St. Paul sports desk, and we were waiting for the copy, and, and it was, you know, because the game got over at 1230 in the morning, and they just got hammered. I mean, 40-some. Minnesota always beats you 17 to 14, sure. 20 to 14. They got gave up 40-some, and, and that was it. Speed. Speed, it became speed then more than power. Yep. And the Viking, the Viking Gophers went backwards from there, and the uh, and the then the Vikings went to the Super Bowl and took off. That's and it's never changed. But but the first eight years there, but Bud, 
Bud became a hero to the fans in 68, but more so in 69. But but 68 was when it started. But anyone who looks back and tells us how excited we were to hire Bud Grant as coach is lying. <laughs> how much did Bud, too, because he, he presented, obviously, this stoic sideline Im- image of a guy that wouldn't allow heat on the sidelines, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> how much of that was very well orchestrated, though? Because it always oh. seemed from afar that he was very aware of the perception of him and did a really good job of keeping that perception up. Well, from afar or from a, a, in proximity, he was exactly that way. He's a very calculating guy, but in a disarming way. Yeah. But he was, uh, he never did anything by accident in his life. You know, but was, uh, he, I remind him, I think he and Tom Kelly are the same guy except different personalities. But, you know, but they always never got forced into anything they didn't want to do mm-hmm. in their entire lives. And they all always took the logical route. You know, sure. Bud's whole deal was cutting players you never made a decision on cutting a player before you had to or anything. He never made really any impulsive decisions. Maybe the Alan Page thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people letting him go. But then again, he probably stuck with Page longer than he wanted to because of really? Page's greatness. Because, yeah, he and Page had been going at it for, you know, Alan was going to law school, not showing up in Mankato. Alan was running the. Alan, too thin, right? Alan, too? Alan was running the. Well, then he got to became a runner. Yeah, he, 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 he hooked up with Diane, and uh, and she turned him into a runner. They became runners. They were. <laughs> he was like two twenty five, yeah. playing defensive tackle, two thirty something like that. And Bud, that was more of a classic Bud rather than impulsive Bud, because he hung with Alan Page as long as Alan Page could do him some good, and when he thought Alan Page was no longer. A productive player, then he got rid of him. Mm-hmm. And he went to the Bears and had a pretty good season, you know. Yeah. Allen for the rest of that year. Yep. But it wasn't like he was, you know, he, he didn't was, have five he was the best time. defensive lineman in the history of football for about, you know, it drives me crazy, Judd, when we have discussions. And didn't we just have a contest of the, Mount Rushmore for the Vikings or something. Didn't, didn't I'm they, sure somebody did. Didn't ESPN do Mount Rushmore well, sure for every did. team? And I don't think Paige was on the on Mount Rushmore, uh, you know, which drives me nuts. But he's the best football player the Vikings ever had, okay? End of discussion. It's over. He won the MVP as a defensive tackle. Yeah, it's 69, There's right? been two defensive players, Lawrence Taylor and him, mm-hmm. right? And Lawrence Taylor had the New York media machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Page won, won, you know, the the idea that such a thing could happen today is 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 ridiculous, right? They don't even get any votes. Right. He won the MVP as a he was he was the greatest defensive one of the three or four greatest defensive tackles who ever lived. Just because of oh, he's what? so damn quick. He's just so. He was big, you know, he was 270, 265, yep. but he was so quick off the ball, it was it was incredible. And when he got irritated, he was amazing. I remember the, they played at Memorial Stadium once. I think it was Fink's. Fink's was kind of, the Twins had a play, it must have been 69 or 70. Playoff. The Twins were in the playoff, and he, Fink's was starting a campaign to get a football stadium. He wanted to get one downtown at Dome. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, almost where Target Field is right now. And uh, this was part of his campaign, so they couldn't schedule it on a different day or something. And uh, I think he got, like, he got called for a roughing penalty, something on page or something he didn't like or offsides or something right. like that. And I think it was Packers, too, and he like had three sacks and four plays or <laughs> pretty soon they were like fourth and 52 or something like that. You know, I mean, he was just, he was just, Eller was very good. Does belong in the hall of fame. Marshall, of course, was Mr. Reliable. That other tackle, whether it was Gary Larson or Doug Sutherland was, was good, strong, kind of the, they weren't really nose tackle size, but they kind of, right. for the most part, Larson, Sutherland more than Larson. Stayed home, you know, and, mm-hmm. and made the tackles. But uh, without Page, it's a it's a nice offensive line, but it isn't historic. That's for sure. Did you ever look at their defensive stats? No, I haven't. From '69. No, they're incredible. Mean, it's, it's it's amazing. I mean, I think they gave up 112 points or something. I mean, it's, really, uh, it was four. It was was it still 14? I think it was still 14. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's their, their defensive stats. They they went to. Cap had some huge games because they had the ball all the time. Sure. You know, the other team was three and out all the time, but their defense was was ungodly. So what's your uh what's the the bud story I've heard you tell about and and you t- uh, talked about it briefly about when he agreed to come back after the, the one oh, year and the deal that he did yeah. for himself with Mike Lynn, which might be one of the greatest <laughs> deals of all time. Mike, Mike Lynn. Yeah, well, they bring in less. Mm-hmm. And now there's there's always the, the double conspiracy conspiracy theory is that Bud knew how rotten they were. He wanted somebody else to take the bullet. Got the got didn't want it to be his buddy Burnsy, so he got Steckle said, "Hey, you got to hire this young man." I I don't believe any of that. <laughs> That's a great but, theory. But they went three and thirteen, and it, it would have never happened if it wasn't for Holtz. Holtz was taking over the town, and yeah, okay. 84, Holtz comes in. Yep. 28,000 for the spring football game at the Metronome. They said 42, but it was actual 28 bodies. Okay. 28,000 bodies. Holtz, you know, there's nothing we love better than a BSer that's nationally famous, right? Yes. And Holtz came in, and nobody ever landed like an atomic bomb in this town like he did. You remember that? Do you remember oh, yeah. That? Yeah, yeah I mean, it was about it was, 14 at the it time. Was, it, was, it was crazy. They became huge it overnight. Was, it was crazy. And and meanwhile, the Vikings became a joke. They went 3-13, and 13 and they had this crazy man who was eating peanut butter out of a diaper like he was eating poop to fire yep. up his team. And, uh, you know, he was obviously just completely overmatched. And that team, if you go back and look, anybody who who stubbed their toe in the shower didn't got themselves put on IR. They were all bailing on him they were done, okay. at the end of the season, 12, 13, 14. They were like, th- I think they were three and six or something, three and five, and then they just quit on him. Uh, Steckel, but Lynn is known as a goofball, but he was a smart guy, and he knew that, you know, nobody knew Lou was going to be taken off after one more year. And he knew that the the worm was turning and that uh, he better do something. So he went and got Bud to come back. And, you know, Bud can be bribed. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Bud, the Mr. Garage Sales proved that to you. He has an annual, you know, his annual garage sale proves that to you. And he, But he 
basically gave him the right to leave after. He only had to coach one year if that's all he wanted to coach. So for 85, just come back 85, for that. 85, come back for that. But I think he wanted him to stay, you know. But Sure. But never intended to stay. And he came back, and he had a life, basically a life, as long as Lynn was around, or and then I don't know how long it covered. I, I mean, I don't know how long the consulting contract was, but sure. it was a long time. It was 15 years he was still around out there, right? 20? Yeah, oh, yeah. But the famous one is when Hedrick, uh, after, I think it was Hedrick, after two, three years, they're going to move Bud out of his office, which is overlooking the practice field. Bud breaks out his contract. I talked about this the other day. Office with a window. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> he is smart enough when he puts, and he probably didn't get a lawyer. He probably just did it himself. Yes. But you, you, when he signed his original contract with Lynn, his consulting job includes an office with a window, so they could, they were going to move him inside, right, the, to like inside a little, the building. Like a closet or yeah, something, right. which is what just, they like to do with have, their... Yeah, when you're on the outs, an office with a window. <laughs> he's a he's the sharpest old guy that ever lived. And, you know, his, brother, his uh, kid, Mike, is a lot like him, just kind of, um, you know, the, doesn't, doesn't, da- doesn't dazzle you with his come on or anything, but right. just a sharp old, just sharp. Well, you know, Bud to this day coming out for the playoff game in the Sub Zero oh, yeah, without the, t- and telling, the and telling Roger Goodell, "Hold my coat while I go out there." <laughs> yeah, right. To have the presence of mind, yeah, okay. and he knew exactly yeah. what would oh, happen. Hell, right? Yes. There's bo- Bud, <laughs> ten below or whatever and, it was. No, oh yeah, he's nobody had to tell him. Hey, Bud, why don't you take your coat up? Bud, yeah. Bud thought I of just, it himself. But I love the fact he gave his coat to Roger Goodell and said, "Hold this for <laughs> oh, me." Oh yeah, while I do this. Oh man, I loved him. The only thing that rattled him was officials. God, he hated him. And uh, is that why Sid hates officials so much? No, I think he just Sid just wants the home team to win so bad, especially in football that he's always blaming the officials. Okay, go for football, and the Vikings are his too. I think he's like most fans; it's simpler to blame relate to blame somebody else. Yeah, and it's simpler to relate to football. Than, you know the the hectic pace of. 162 baseball games and stuff. I, I think I think the the fact that you can, you know, build it up during a week and then spend two three days afterwards dwelling on it always appealed to him in his younger days. That that kind of drama. Plus, he loved the Vikings uh, from probably from Finks 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 and Bud. You know, Bud. Well, Max too. I mean, Max is yeah. He and Max worked together with the Lakers. So and Max was in on the Vikings. From how, uh, if he had stuck around, how big could Holtz have been, do you think? Oh, I think he would have turned it. I do think you? he would, yeah. Yeah, I think he would have. He's a great coach. I mean, to me, uh, that's the underrated thing about him because he's such a BSer. Right. You know, he's such a, the, the lingo and the whole thing. Most of those guys are just, you know, Mac Brown. Did you ever mm-hmm. think of him as a great coach? Great BSer, right? Right. I think Luke had really X and O, especially offensively. With the college offense, he was, you know, where you could run the option and not full option, but some of it. I think sure. he was a genius. And he was willing to do what it took to get athletes in here. <laughs> you know, 
Luther Darville and the fellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he had he had Luther. He had it all set up. They were taking. They were they were going to get guys just like everybody else got them. I I think he would have. I think he because they. You know, they were six and five in. Uh, they were they were six and five in his second year. The four and seven, then six and five, and Oklahoma was on that schedule. You know, I remember that game. Saw, the dome's packed. Yeah, they almost beat him. He hadn't softened up the schedule, and then the next year, even though they got edged by Oklahoma sixty three nothing, they beat Michigan down there with Goody, and they were they were yeah. they were yeah he would have done well. I'm not sh- saying an endless string of Big Ten championships, but if he'd stayed seven eight years, they would have they would have uh, you know filled the dome. We you know I I. I was there for his first pep fest at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used to have the famous Friday night pep fest. I went down for his first game at Michigan at South Bend. And Michigan, they were playing. Best I ever saw. Really? 20 minutes. I wanted to put on a helmet. <laughs> I wanted to put on a helmet and fight for the glory. And you don't like BS that much. <laughs> no. I mean, you're a guy that sniffed Brewster no, but, out in his but, first press yes, conference. But I admire it. I admire yeah. it when you're great at it. But it's got to be good. Yeah, yeah. Brewster was an obvious fraud. Yeah. Lou was a salesman. Lou would, you could come in looking for a six-year-old used Toyota, and you'd leave in a Lexus <laughs> with Lou, you know. I mean, he was, but it wasn't because, you know, Brewster was was working hard to be a BSer. Lou, it was easy. Just came I mean, naturally. He was, but he oh, could he, coach, too. He was good. You know, he came back here. Oh, he could coach like hell. He came back here uh, to talk in, like, February. He left in November, February, March, sometime like that, to talk to the Notre Dame Club of the Twin Cities. He came back to St. Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, and the local media all came out. The traders come back, and he, he got that. There was gopher fans in that crowd and everything, and he he had them all up singing the Notre <laughs> Dame fight song, too. He's uh, he's the greatest. What? Uh, he, he and I worked real. I... I Started calling him the music man from his, yeah. first, you know, early on. I remember that. It was more of the guys he was associated with. Than, you know, I was feuding with Harvey McKay then and Sid, and I was in St. Paul, and it was more of the guys who, it was more that you had to read every day how wonderful he was that somebody had to try to calm it down a little bit. Yeah, he had a lot of, he had a lot of clout in this town, too. You know, he's, uh, I uh, remember, remember when they had the Lou Holtz lookalike contest? That, they, yes, yeah, frankly, Lou I do. Lou Holtz lookalike yes. contest, and I was in the uh, <laughs> I was in the St. Paul paper one Sunday night. On Sundays, you could get away with murder. I'd write for Mondays, but if it was just a normal day, I'd come in and write my Sunday column, not a Twins game or not a Viking game or something, just something to right. fill the space. And they were having a contest, and I went and got a picture of Robert Preston as a music man, mm-hmm. who looks the most like, you know, and we put a little gopher decal on the on the thing of it. <laughs> and when you jump, the Luke Holtz looking log, like contest, and I wrote a comment about it, and when you jumped inside, you saw the winner, and it was the music man with the hat and the, and the little gopher on it. And, oh, Deborah Howe was the editor. She went nuts. She went nuts. Because she happy. got complaints, well, or because yeah, she... oh yeah, because I had altered a photograph. 
which know, now, a, by the way, is a, common a, practice. Yeah, I mean, but it was a publicity. Right. It was a publicity photo too. Right. It wasn't like I took some citizen and, and took him, but right. she just had heard from the Holtz, you know, group, and they were they were uh, they were very outraged. But it was a funny. It was a laugh. So I mean, if he, but it, it, funny yeah. follow up on that is the Christmas morning. Pioneer Press that year had a picture of Santa Claus going across the St. Paul skyline. So the next time I was in the office, I went in and threw it on her desk and said, I thought we didn't alter <laughs> photographs. What is this? Did somebody actually see this? <laughs> Did you think it was funny by that time? Ellen? Yeah, she laughed. She laughed. She told me to get the bleep out. She was the greatest foul-mouthed editor. I loved her. Oh, What, uh, what made Kelly special? Just being smart. Great baseball. Great, I know the David Ortiz thing. He never told David Ortiz not to hit home runs, okay? Yeah. He told David Ortiz when they're throwing a the ball on the outside corner, hit it hard the other way. That's all. And it served him extremely well in Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. As he says, he's lost a few home runs. He lost 100 home runs in Fenway, but he gained 200 doubles, as he said, hitting it the other way. So it was but a tremendous evaluator of talent and you know, of course, another guy who I, I can guarantee you he would not be playing an outfield with RC and left and snow and right because he uh, had a, a real fondness for catching the ball. Yeah, well, that helps out you know, a little bit. That's right. Todd Walker never made yeah. it. You know, Todd Walker could hit, but Kelly didn't want a second baseman who couldn't play second base. He mm-hmm. wasn't going to do it. And uh, and that was, you know, he just he had a philosophy of. You know, why were they rotten from 93 to 2000? They couldn't pitch. Yeah. You know, and his whole philosophy was you got to pitch and you got to pitch and then to give your pitchers a chance, you got to make, you know, you got to make the other team only have three outs and in. So that was, but he's a, everybody says the twins way and they blame him, but he's a very, very astute baseball guy. He can see stuff. You and I don't see. <laughs> yeah, well, his TV work is fantastic because yeah. of that. Because mm-hmm. he sees things and and mm-hmm. brings things up that you don't see. No, I mean I've I I have spent a lot of time with him, you know, talking to him back then, and tried to absorb things, but still don't have come close to seeing what he sees. You know. Could but he? That that would make him. He he would. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Well, I, I was gonna say, could he be a character behind the scenes, or basically what we got? From him in the public eye, was that just him? Yeah, I don't think he's uh, wants to be a you know to be a GM or anything like that. I mean, he's you know he's he what he spent seven eight years on the road going out and looking at guys yeah. for him. He's kind of minors and he's kind of past that too. I don't think he's. I, I think he's comfortably retired. You know, and, sure. And if Terry wants some advice, he'll give it to him. And Molitor, I guess, calls him, but. Uh, we get we got him on now every other week, and it's great. But you know, it's it's kind of fun to read between the not read between the lines, but hear between the lines. Of, yeah, well, we asked him about Snow right off the bat, and he says, "I'm not sure about that." <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, I know yeah. we played that on our show. And yeah, it was yeah. quite clear he didn't approve. <laughs> no, no, that would not happen under his watch. No, he does not. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure that he would have said, "Terry, why are we?" Uh, this young man from Korea might be a, a fine slugger, but why are we bringing him in here when we right then will not have a place to play? So no, right, you know, which is accurate. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, what was '69 like with uh, Billy? 
Well, I wasn't covering it. I was a high school writer. But I mean, just as a just as oh, a was, follower uh, of the team, you got to realize that we knew he was goofy, but I don't think the public, which I certainly was part of then, knew that what a hopeless alcoholic, crazy sob he was, and what was going on, you know, behind the scenes. But I think we all realized he was nuts when he punched when they had the fight at the Lindale AC in the middle of the summer. When he when Boswell got in a fight with Bob Allison and then the manager punched out Dave Boswell in the in the uh, in the Lindell AC in Detroit and then kind of right. bragged about it <laughs> right. <laughs> right then you realize that he wasn't sane. I I think he could run a ball game you know and uh, he certainly wasn't as far down the road of being insane as he was years later sure. with the, when he get. Fired by the Yankees and come back and fired by the. He is uh, one of the most amazing examples of the public, though. Falling in love with the guy. Well, that's what I was going to say. He was incredibly popular here, right? Oh, everywhere. Didn't they turn on Calvin when Calvin fired him? Oh, yeah. yeah, And people were terrible. I I remember uh, Tommy Me telling me that uh, they had the big meeting and they were going to, like, late, late in the season. And he could see that Howard Fox was going to win the argument and that they were going to fire Billy, uh, you know, sometime. And, and Tom went in and said, Calvin, is this a day you're going to live to regret for the, as long as you own this baseball team? And Really? Honest to God, they had, they see the next year they won, they actually won more game, I think, than they won. They were, they were really good still, mm-hmm. won the division easy. Mm-hmm. But their tennis went down. Hundred and some thousand, which back then was pretty good, I think. You right. Have to go back and look, but it, it tennis did go down, and that was the. Uh, I'm not going to any games. They fired Billy. We love, but our our whole ethic back then was we like feisty, fired up guys who'd get thrown out of games and stuff like that. And it was a hopeless task for uh, Rigney to win the public over because we love Billy, and then I started covering more baseball in 74, and I dealt with him a little bit when he was with Oakland and then back with the Yankees, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, by the late 70s, he was nuts. Mm-hmm. He was like, My favorite Billy ever is a story one off season. AP, Anima, Anima, Anaheim Hills, California. Billy Martin was arrested uh, in a, the front yard of a woman laying in the front yard of a woman's house in Anaheim Hills, California, screaming about a horse. <laughs> I've never heard that one. Yeah, he was screaming. Laying in the front yard, screaming about a horse. <laughs> they picked him up drunk. The was, whiskey or what? What was his yeah, I think alcohol just, choice? He was just a drunk. I, I don't know. I, oh, I never had the privilege of drinking with him. So, But he was, uh, he was uh, amazing, but extremely popular with the public. Hell, the Yankees... Fans, I was there when they brought him back. Remember that old the old timers day? You've told the story. They brought yeah. him back. It was uh, it was a damn thing. Fifteen minutes standing, and he'll be back next year on opening day after he gets help help with his insanity. <laughs> you know, Billy Martin, fifteen minutes standing ovation. He and George must have I been mean, a perfect you got, pairing. You got them all there. Dimaggio and all those guys. I think Dimaggio was there, and, and you got them all there. And Billy gets fifteen minute and and. It, I remember the game was starting. I went downstairs to the press conference. 
even though I was there covering the Twins, yeah. because they, George and him had a press conference together. Oh, those two guys are made for each other. I was going to say, that was the perfect, no, the it was detrimental, but perfect marriage at oh, the it same was time. A, it was a sickness. It was really a, yeah. I mean, they, they were they were both ill. They needed each other. They were codependent if you ever, you know, ever been an Al-Anon for Alcoholics Anonymous. They were codependent, you know. Wow. The drunk and the... The drunk and the enabler. Yeah, I was going to say, what was He was George? the enabler. He what did Reggie call him? He, the criminal or whatever? The, 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 one's been, one's a liar and the other's been convicted, right? Yes. One's a, one's a liar. And Billy, he was talking about yeah. George George Billy, has right? been convicted of being a liar and Billy's just a liar, yeah. He was right about that. So Well, well but hey, these yep. are glory days. Enjoy them. Last thing, Mock and Kelly, the two smartest for the Twins? Yeah, well, Managers. Kelly Kelly was more rational. I love Gene, and he taught me more baseball than anybody because I spent more time with him because I sure. was traveling then. But uh, abuse of pitchers, abuse of relief pitchers, I it, it's hard to forgive him for that. But, I mean, like Tommy Johnson, the kid from St. Paul, yeah. ruined his career. And he uh, did not, uh, did not even in that era, when pitchers were abused, Gene went way past. So Campbell, right? Then they have Bill what are we Campbell looking at? Billy Campbell, 160 yeah. some innings as the closer. Yes. 1976. Yeah. Yeah. He was won 16 games as your closer. <laughs> they didn't call them closers then, they called them stoppers. Yeah. yeah and Gene, firemen, right? But I love Gene. He was, he was, a, he was a character. A great whoopster as a, as a manager. What you had to know is when he was paused, mm-hmm. just wait. Right. It was hard. Sometimes it was an uncomfortable 30-second silence, but he'd answer the question eventually, and it would be good. All right, sir. Well, thank you, and and I believe that you will be going to more Wild Games next season, though, because I think Boudreaux will be too oh, good to miss. I think so. I think it, you're going to enjoy sounds Bruce. Like, uh, sounds like we'll get even better quotes than we got from Inspector Lemire, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. And those were great. Those were great. Thank All you, right, Patrick. Jack. Yes, sir. He knows he once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down in the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest-rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA, that's DNA, to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today.